Dear God, I am grateful for this day you have given us, um, for this is your day. Lord, I pray that our time today discussing um, this topic will be a time of unity, a time of unity around truth, around your truth, and not our own man-desired truth, and to take authority for ourselves, what is your authority. Lord, but I pray instead that this is a time of, of peace, a time of love, and a time not just to um, agree on what, what sin is around us, Lord, but instead to think about how we might expand the kingdom or defend the kingdom uh, in the midst of exile in this world. Please allow this to be a time that is edifying and glorious to you, Lord, and I pray that we honor you in all that we say and communicate today. In your son's name we pray. Amen. All right, we are, we are going to have more discussion today than usual. Also, I have been officially bullied into the whiteboard. Um, so Caleb approves, Dennis approves. I've had a few other comments uh, of approval. I just ask that inevitably when my dad comes back, you just let him know I did the whiteboard better. But uh, the plan today will be I'll be filling out this whiteboard but I tried to write it out, and my frustration with whiteboards is the inability to click Control-Z and you know, format the way I want and all those things. Uh, but the question there, how do we apply this knowledge as a church, as parents, as a family? I'm giving that to you now. That's, that's going to be how we spend the last, what I'm hoping is a decent amount of time after we get through um, the Tournament of Champions here. So um, if, if you can think that through as we go, I figure I will inform you on the top half on some of the things of the world, and you all, we can together espouse what, what are the practical steppings, what are the things that we need to do coming out of this as a church, as a parent, as a family member. Um, in particular, this topic can get very um, echo chambery. Hey, this is bad. Yes, raise my hand. Oh, this happened to me at work. This is bad. Yes, I think we're all in agreement. This is bad. This is antithetical to God and his, um, his creation. We'll talk about that some. But the idea here is practically how do we, in the midst of this onslaught in, around us in the world, how do we practically go about doing, uh, doing church, being parents, um, being a family? How do, we, how do we operate in a world where this is celebrated? All right, let's get into it. <clears throat> so, if you haven't figured it out so far, we're going to figure out how to get to LGBTQ+, and we're also going to understand why they even belong together. The reality is all of this, the author puts on a subheader for one of the sections, but I think he could have named the entire title or the entire chapter, which is a marriage of convenience. So these, all these letters are probably presumed today as like this unified group that is very vocal, very adamant, uses lobbyists, does all these various things and impacts our life, right? I have special training at work. We have different articles of protection from the Supreme Court. There's things that happen as a result of unity from this group. But just the letters in and of themselves espouse certain values 
that are in disagreement and disharmony with each other. And so there's some of these things that I think, rather than us saying the LGBTQ plus, right, movement, it's an under, we need to have a little more understanding of what's going on with each of these letters, what is inherently espoused, what they're not espousing, how it might start to encroach on us either as a church or as a society, as parents, as family members. Um, and then uh, it, essentially from there, I'm hoping we can get to the point where we understand, oh, wait a minute, different groups have different values. These are the various outworkings. Here's how we operate. So let's start with L and G. Um, so L and G might be presume, presumed as being very similar, very harmonious, but actually, um, early on, especially in the like 70s and 80s, what we actually see is the L's have a lot of distaste for the G's. So lesbians have a lot of distaste for gay men. And the reason for that was at the time, feminism is starting to reach peak form. It's starting to, to have more broad acceptance. And the idea or the argument from the lesbian perspective and those who are lobbying for political and social change were that it's not fair. I am a woman in addition to being an outcast as a lesbian. I'm a woman. I still, though, have to operate in a man's world due to a man-driven world, right? You hear patriarchy, things like that. In a heteronormative patriarchy, um, uh, as a lesbian, I have it worse than gay men. In fact, gay men already have it great because they're not only are they men, but on top of it now, they not only get to do um, to be a man with a wife if they want to, they, they are more allowed to have this form of pleasure that they want than I as a lesbian do. And so there's actually some hostility against each other because the gay men still, at the end of the day, are men. That was a, a big deal. And so L and G were not in a unified, let's march together, we're all brothers and sisters, any of that type of movement. Um, and it actually took a pretty major event for any kind of unity between the two. Um, but in addition to the resentment, at their core, what each group was looking for, for the most part, right, these are generalizations, for the most part, were very different. So lesbians tended to look for partnership, companionship, um, look for affirmation and affection from a lifelong partner, right, and, and have those types of things. Whereas uh, at the time, the more common notion and the more common um, expressing of homosexual men was for pleasure. The idea of it's not about any specific partner, it is about having sexual pleasure, not the affection, not necessarily the relational aspects of mimicking what is, a, what is the God's design for marriage. On the other hand, we have lesbians who are looking for something different, what they view as more meaningful and long-term, and we're looking for someone side-by-side side, um, with us. And so there's actually a lot of disagreement and vehemence against each other until something comes in and kind of changes the scene for how the lesbians view the gay movement. So my handwriting's terrible I'm good, as I add these things. We have AIDS come into the picture. So AIDS was the first time that broadly the world, and more importantly for what we're talking about today, that lesbians saw gay men as a victim. It was the first time they saw this sense of victimhood because AIDS was particularly affecting gay men more than any other group of people. 
And so at that time, lesbians start to actually think about, ooh, look at the way the public discourse around gay men. Look at the way in which they're treated. Look at the way in which they're dying for their lifestyle, these elements. And so AIDS was kind of this like unifying storm that allowed some similarities to come out in terms of the unity is not in, hey, I like a person of the same sex. No, it's we are victims together. And so the heteronormative patriarchy society was imposing its will on the world. It was influencing people. And we as lesbians and gays do not, like we're, we're victims. And so in our common victimhood, we can fight for things together. We can fight to become not victims, to be acknowledged and recognized. So I'm going to pause here for a second. We're going to open it up for a second because I want to ask, so ideally I would have written AIDS under there, but now we have. So now we're starting to see a, a, the public social grouping of L and G, right? Um, at the time, a lot of times it was just called gay as a collective um, but uh, I think in a true fight the patriarchy form, you would say that's sexist because um, gay is generally referring to men. But uh, L, we have the L's and G's unifying. Now, the question I have for you all is, by claiming yourself to be a lesbian or a homosexual man, being gay, what inherently are you acknowledging? What, what is, is it, are there any things that just on their surface you acknowledge? And I am looking for an answer. If we get it wrong, don't worry. Uh, we'll, we'll keep trying for it. So I got, okay, pastors come last. That's what I learned. Uh, let's go, let's go, Cindy. Oh. And to be fair, that precedent was set at the member meeting when Nick, Nick, Nick I'm, so it's coming full circle. Bam, Cindy, woo, okay. So for, for the purpose of the recording and anyone who might not have heard is that lesbians and gays are acknowledging biology. There is male and there is female and they are attracted to the one that they are, but they are acknowledging there is biological male and female. I'm not gonna write that. You all can write that on your own notes if you wanted to. Um, so we have this L and we have the L and G at this point. But we need to remember, for as we start to get into some of these other letters, um, that L and G are claiming there is a genetic sex, there is a biology component to this. Yeah? Are you saying that the L and G, that they, yeah. this is the 70s and this is mid-80s? Yeah, so I would say it's uh, the period of time that the book is covering is, I would say, rather broad and building. Um, and, but yes, generally speaking, it was like, uh, I don't know my 80s history, like when AIDS epidemic is at its peak, but essentially when AIDS hit, and I think the 80s is when LNG is in that kind of like unified structure in that area. 85, 86. Nick remembers it well. Oh, as a police officer, I had to deal with it. Okay. Wow. At lunch, that sounds like you're the guy to sit next to you and ask questions. That in this topic. Um, so there you go. So mid eighties, you have this, you have the AIDS epidemic and we have L and G. All right. I'm going to add B to the bottom here. 
Okay, so then we have B, bisexual. We have this weird kind of one that's just out there that honestly was sought, seen, generally seen as, and I think still has some of that sense in the community as the strange one. Like, okay, this is one that is kind of greedy. They want both, they want it all, they want their cake and to eat it too, all of that. And it's, it was kind of seen as L and G as, all right, there is some level of persecution in here, but there's no real like formal specific attack on bisexuals. And in fact, there is still some underlying resentment, right? So in the book, there's some quotes from people who have who are leaders of this movement at the time saying stuff about concern about bisexuals because the idea here was yeah but in this society gay men like they're they're forced to try to hide the fact that they're gay men and lesbians have to hide it right you know uh, the idea of like oh yeah aunt ruth and her lifelong partner or you know her friend you know things like that they're this idea of hiding um is there but then if you're bisexual you can still choose to operate publicly in a heterosexual relationship. But they still wanted to be included in the group, a part of what is becoming a, what I'll call a social powerhouse or a, eventually will get its own formal lobbyists and things like that, um, and governmental change. But they, they want to be included in this banner. LNG ultimately accepts them, not through any particular event or anything like that, but it's accepting them primarily because they're a group, they should be allowed to love who they want to love, right? Um, and we start to get some of the early love is love kind of um, verbiage during this time. Okay. Now things start to get a little bit dicey for this group. Yes. No. No. I have no dates for you. Yes. Yeah, Brandon asked if I know the date when Love is Love movement, or Love is Love, like that statement or something started. I have zero dates on that. Um, yeah, yeah. I will tell you, I... <laughs> Rob Roy says it's before Sodom and Gomorrah. All right, we got some Ecclesiastes-esque um, <laughs> ideas here. So um, now we start to get the trans, um, the trans movement included in. They, they want to be at, at the table. And something to understand here is the trans movement today we hear, we hear an argument that it's always existed, it's been in hiding you know, that no one's been able to come out and publicly speak on being trans. The reality is we don't necessarily see that examples of that, even with those who had the power and freedom to come out as desiring one or the other very much. Like this isn't, this isn't seen as like a legitimate thing until more recently. Now it's very legitimate doctors and surgeons and there are people doing things to make this happen. Um, but as, as the trans movement starts to pick up uh, or tries to become vocal and talk about oppression, L, G, and B are espou espousing one thing, whereas the T is espousing another. Um, so, uh, so uh, going back to my question before, now what is it that T, would you say T espouses in terms of when it comes to 
male, female, biological sex, like if we were to say what, what does the idea of being trans, what are they espousing? We got a hand, I'll go Brandon, and then we got Sean. Brandon? Okay, so Brandon says we're starting to deny physical realities. All right, Sean? Okay, so um, Sean then said uh, they're starting to uh, be opposed to or reject objective truth and that there is uh, male and female assigned at birth, that there is a biological difference um, there. Uh, and in fact, even, even the word assigned kind of gets pointed out by some as it's, that's a word commonly used in more... I want to call it a manifesto, but it's like articles of the laws that should be adopted. It came out of the uh, Indonesia, I believe, that now more countries are starting to use to adopt. Uh, the book goes into it quite a lot, but it's not particularly helpful for our discussion. But the, um, the even the word assigned is being used now as your doctor and your parents foolishly assigned you a gender. The most extreme, the most extreme would say... Um, hey, we should put in some kind of genetic puberty blocker, hormone blocker, until a child is old enough to decide which gender they want to be and then allow them to go through puberty after they've had the appropriate surgery, right? Not the majority, but the far extreme. And so even the word assign has its own inherent. And whereas when we say assign, right, we know the assigner is it's a little bit different than in this case, the own perceived identity. But yes, um, we're, we're definitely seeing that. In fact, um, it was the first to start to highlight that this would come, that the differences between male and female would start to go away, once some of the first writing we have of this is the Communist Manifesto. So the Communist Manifesto actually said, with production now having more and more uh, technological improvements, the strength of men is not needed for his work as much as it was in the past. Now men and women can do factory jobs. And so the dis differences between men and women will start to disappear, is what was written. I have, I very much doubt they imagined surgeries and hormone injections and these things, but it's actually listed in the Communist Manifesto that the differences between men and women are different, um, or that, that those differences are gonna go away. Then we have uh, Simone de Beauvoir, something like that, very French. Um, she writes in, um, uh, I believe it's the 50s, but it gets picked up later. It gains popularity much later than that. Where, um, uh, let me see actually if I can find the quote here. In her book in 1949, so not the 50s, 1949, um, writes in her book, The Second Sex, one is not born, but rather becomes woman. No biological, psychic, or economic destiny defines the figure that human females take on in society. It is civilization as a whole that elaborates this intermediary product between male and female, uh, between the male and the eunuch that is called female. Okay, so this particular book summarizes this idea that what we start to see, which is society imposes identity on you, right? Boys should play with Barbies and girls should be playing with monster trucks and things. The reason they go for those certain toys are because of 
or for certain toys that are more aligned to what we see as typical for their sex is as a result of society, right? And so we start to see this start to flow. And so core to the trans movement is this idea that male and female are a result of what identity you see as yourself and that it is more of a spectrum and this idea that there is not necessarily a biological male and not a biological female. And so, in fact, you, you have to deny that to be able to be okay with surgeries and adjustments to things. And that then as a result, you should be allowed to make these surgeries and change these things. So, uh-oh, we have a problem. Why LGB, like lesbians are saying, no, I am female. I like female. Trans now are saying, no, there is no female. There is what you decide to be. And, and then from there, um, it should be open. In fact, I have a very interesting quote uh, let's, with, from um, from 2019 in the New York Magazine. So this, isn't, uh, this is rather fresh, just a few years old. February 2019, New York ma- Magazine, from a homosexual author, man, um, Andrew Sullivan, and he writes this. It is not transphobic for a gay man not to be attracted to a trans man. It is close to definitional. The core of the traditional gay claim is that there is indeed a very big difference between male and female, and that difference matters. And without it, homosexuality would make no sense at all. If if it's all a free and fluid non-binary choice of gender and sexual partners, A choice to have sex exclusively with the same sex would not be an expression of our identity, but a form of sexist bigotry, would it not? And so here we have a a homosexual man writing in a nationally and I'm sure worldwide distributed source, writing, uh, wait a minute, suddenly now, if anything, it's bigotry if if it's kind of all fluid and people should be allowed to, um, and that the natural sex that you have when you are born does not matter. Well, now suddenly it's bigotry. You are selecting people of a certain type only and not others. That's offensive, right? And so we start to get in this circular mess and brew of of different ideologies that are being espoused. So the question is, okay, how does T get in with LGB? Well, it does from solely a power sense. There is strength in numbers. We can move legislation. We can adjust these things. So when we hear of unity on this level of LGBTQ+, and you hear this and you just assume, oh, there's a flag for that. They all support each other. There's blind agreement. The answer is no. There's definitely not that, especially anyone who maybe has thought through one step deeper what they're saying by claiming to be what they are. But at the same time, we can get more of what we want if we come together. And we see this in the political sphere for Republicans, Democrats, whatever. You're willing to, most, we're willing to kind of, you know, not look over here at some of the stuff of a bill or our political party if it means I get the thing I want, right? Like, you, you, see, you see this diminishing of certain values or looking away at certain things perhaps you value, um, whether on a moral sense or maybe just your view on finances and economics. But here we're seeing this where the public lobbyist group is doing this. So um, the reality is, though, there are, if you were to go to these communities, you tend to actually see 
pockets in places where like businesses aimed towards gay people, there is there have been major articles and large um, Twitter battles, I guess, uh, or or vehemence put over whether or not um, gay businesses exclude trans people, right? And um, and so we start to there, so there's a lot more un- going on under there, and this this will matter. And so again, I guess I'll pull it back to. I'm leaving it up to you to tell me why this matters. How do we apply knowing some of these things and what are the ideologies each of these letters are espousing that are, that, um, uh, are, are around us in our schools, at our work, um, and, and eventually will put pressure on us as a church as well. But we do technically have the coming together of LGBT from a political sense. Even if no, they don't agree ideologically, they agree from a a lot of the legislation we can get through, a lot of the power we can push and wield will yield us a general benefit, um, even if not specific agreement. Okay. Okay. Finally, we're getting to the end of this. I mean, the letters, I think in total, there's like 19 total or something like that, that the plus like captures, encapsulates all of them. Um, We're only going to go to the Q um, and then say, hey, there's a plus. But for our purposes, we're going to go to the Q. And um, how how do we get the Q? Well, when you have um, LG having issues with B and B has issues with T, or LGB has issues with T on a higher level than L has issues with G and LG has issues with B, how fast is the train heading east? Um, no, I, at this point, we have, a certain, we have a certain mixture brewing, but what, what can mess this up more than anything? Not political agendas, not groups in a room saying power, real life, things happen. So let me read to you a quote from a real event um, for a lesbian woman. A lesbian woman um, has a partner for a decade. Her lesbian partner then decides they're stuck in a woman's body and should be a man. So the lesbian now has a, in the eyes of the world, a man as a husband after 10 years of having a lesbian partner. Is she a lesbian anymore? When my partner began his gender transition, my lesbian identity had been central to my life and my sense of self for well over a decade. And I didn't know what his transition made me. Some people told me I was obviously still a lesbian, but it was just as obvious to others that I was now straight or bisexual. It wasn't obvious to me at all, and I struggled with it for a long time. Now, I've been a partner of a trans man for as long as I I was a lesbian. And I've gotten comfortable just not having a name for what I am. I think of myself as far, part of the family of queers and trans people. Okay. Queers, the Q, the idea of being queer is this like, I can't explain it. It's a catch-all. Don't ask me about the logic. I can't, I can't make this make sense, right? That's the, that is ultimately the outworking of this, which is, hey, it's all just kind of a ethereal blob and I don't want to explain this, right? And so we see this type of thing work out in having this kind of like catch-all. But we also see the problems inherent to some of this because what's happening 
if the lesbian now has to suddenly, her identity, which is mine to choose, I am a lesbian, uh-oh, if I don't acknowledge my spouse is a, is a man now, I am not affirming trans ideology. But if I do, I'm not a lesbian anymore. My identity's changed by someone other than me. I'm, other people aren't allowed to change my identity. So after long soul searching, I've decided I'm, I'm queer. I don't have an answer, right? Question, might as well, Q could be for question mark. What? Absolutely. So there's, absolutely. So there is, uh, Rob Roy says there's still a change of identity. And this is what's happening, right? Like, uh, let's go for this whole house, right? Divided against itself, what cannot stand. The reality is all of these things have real implications. We know that when you are manipulating in line with truth, there are consequences and outworkings as a result. And the, is it surprising that the arrogance and foolishness is coming forth to bear in controversy, infighting, all of those things? No, it's not, it's not surprising. The reality is, though, for political purposes and for, again, the wielding of power internationally, where other countries have adopted things, um, our own Supreme Court adopted bringing in um, uh, sexual identity as one of the protected classes, um, now along with like, other things like race, um, gender, age, you know, those types of things. Um, uh, when, when this happened, it was, uh, let's see, we now have LGBTQ, well, we can the unified power is what can move, make this move as opposed to small pockets of isolated groups that are, that are speaking up. Okay, the plus is out there. I don't necessarily encourage you to go learn about them all. Um, they're out there, things from asexual uh, to uh, things that are just entirely antithetical um, to scripture. In fact, specific laws lined out um, and things um, that, I mean, they don't deserve being mentioned publicly. But the reality is these different groups, these different things do have power, even if there's infighting. But underneath why there's infighting is the ideology. And it's the ideology that we face. That's what we face. So perhaps we're getting a certain ideology from news sources, from public media, or whatever is the general narrative of public discourse around LGBTQ+, right? Love is love. Though L and G should, if, do you really think that? Or do you get to choose? Or, right, like if you actually go a step deeper, I don't think they would agree with that national narrative. But each of these individual, depending on the perspective of teachers in schools, right? Us now at work, I know I had to do a harass, I do a harassment training every year. It's required for all my employees as well. In there, there's all sorts of stuff about how to handle this. And it's not very good because it doesn't make sense and it, it undermines itself. But these ideologies are creeping, not just creeping in, but we're going to be exposed to them. So we can't just as a church sit here and go, yeah, that's terrible, that's happening out there, but we're good, we're not gonna, it's not gonna impact us. So I'm going to, at this point, turn it over to, we have, I'm gonna say eight minutes, because I want the last two minutes to add in a couple of things here, but um, how do we then, as knowing that these ideologies and some things that are being espoused and around us, how do we as a church apply this? Like, what do we do 
knowing that this is going on as a church, parents, family. So I would say raise your hand. I think maybe we have a working mic now, and um, we'll get it to you. How, how might you go about applying this knowledge or handling the world in which we're living in um, with these different ideologies? Ah, <laughs> all right. Nick? Is it still... Nothing? Okay. So, the gospel transcends culture. End of story. If you lead with the gospel in any conversation, you can sidestep all of the arguing that's just going to drag you into the weeds, and the gospel reaches the heart because the gospel is taken by God and transforms the heart. So, I know there's some other applications, but mm-hmm. we've got to see. We've got to go for the gospel, regardless of the individual. We are called to take the gospel from death. So, okay. So I'm going to summarize, and then I'm going to pivot us a little bit without a mic. This, this is going to be get hard to repeat. But what Nick said is the gospel. That's a pretty solid Sunday school answer. Uh, the gospel. Uh, yeah. So the lead with gospel. The gospel is the truth. It cuts through all of this. It supersedes all of this. It will prevent you from getting into the weeds. But even though obviously this is sin, we are still called to evangelize to them and witness to them. And with that, we need to lead with the gospel. Um, I would agree. I completely agree. I would say for me as a parent, it starts at what am I teaching my children, right? My children will be at school. Probably sooner rather than later, they will have a classmate that is a trans child, right? At a certain point, it's going to happen, and I need to be ready for them to... (laughs) It's probably my children yelling back there. Um, I need them to have thought through and be aware of some of these things. And so what I would say is um, I'm going to... If you want to turn to um, our London Baptist Confession of Faith, number 673, page 673 in the blue hymnals, Here might be a good place to start as far as equipping us as a church and making sure we know what it is we are to know. So page 673, I conveniently have the 1689 as part of my Bible. So I'm going to read it from the back of mine. And it's under, so you'll see it on 673 right before that on the bottom, I think of the left-hand side, you'll see where it says creation. It's question four, but uh, Uh, Paragraph two in question four says, after God had made all other creatures, he created man, male and female, with reasonable and immortal souls, rendering them fit unto that life to God for which they were created, being made after the image of God in knowledge, righteousness, and true holiness, having the law of God written in their hearts and power to fulfill it, and yet under a possibility of transgressing, being left to the liberty of their own will, which was subject to change. Um, So we see here espousing of God creating us male and female, the ability to err, um, uh, and yet God writing law into our hearts, paired in with our male and female uh, passage there. And I would say, um, if anyone has the children's um, from the Great Commission publication I group, I think is what it's called. I know I use this with my children. It's, the, um, it's basically the 
Westminster Catechism put into like children's question form and simpler. One of the questions, the first time Ezra and I ever had a conversation about the idea of men wanting to be women and women wanting to be men and how that is wrong um, on a very simplified level um, was the question, how did God make man? God made man, male and female. After his own image, he made them. So, you know, Ezra asks, we go through the catechism. Ezra asks, hey, what does this mean? And so you, we, we got into it a little bit. We just, people, there are people, things people want that are different than what God has aligned. So as I can tell you as a parent, at least to answer that question, for me, that is catechizing my child. That is teaching them truth, teaching them truth of what God has to say. And I would say um, as a church, I would say responsibility one, even before sharing the gospel is knowing the gospel. I'm going to give you another catechism, but this time an adult one. I'm going to read to you the first question of the Heidelberg Catechism. So this is uh, on the Lord's Day is the general section. Um, Heidelberg Catechism question one. What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I answer that I with body and soul, both in life and in death, am not my own, but belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ who with his precious blood has fully satisfied for all my sins and delivered me from the power of the devil and so preserves me that without the will of my father in heaven, not a hair can fall from my head. Yes, that all things must work together for my salvation. Wherefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready henceforth to live unto him. So again, if we're espousing these truths, this even, this, the very first words of this, which you're talking about like just post-Reformation Germany when this is getting written, written, that I with body and soul, both in life and in death, am not my own, right? It's this idea that I do not belong to me. Who do I belong to? My faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And so absolutely the gospel is tied in to what we should be arming ourselves with. So I would say, as far as how application should go, first, we are to arm ourselves with truth. We are to know truth so that we're prepared to give a defense. We're, we're knowledgeable. But then beyond that, I would completely agree with what our brother Nick said, our pastor Nick said, which is share the gospel, share the truth. Tell them where, when you maybe have a chance, if you do, you know, I know for me, I have coworkers um, who I have avoided conversations with in the workplace, but if I, if I were outside of the workplace and able to have a good conversation with them and go in deeper on these, maybe I would, maybe I wouldn't. But the reality is the source of absolute truth is not our identity, but instead is, is scripture. So um, we are at time. I will close us in prayer, um, and uh, I'm hoping this was edifying for us uh, as we go. Lord God, I thank you again for this time we have together, Lord. It is, it is wonderful to not just be able to be together, Lord, but we are allowed to freely discuss these things as a church um, as of today, Lord, and, and we are grateful for that freedom. I pray that this knowledge will help equip us and arm us with the ability to spread the gospel to all nations, starting with our own backyard, our own workplaces, our own um, environments. Lord, I pray that you will allow us to stand hold and or stand firm and hold on to the truth that you've given us in your scripture, Lord. 
I pray that we glorify you in the way in which we approach with love and gentleness and care for those who have decided to espouse values of the world rather than your values, Lord. But they were created in your image, Lord, and we are to take the gospel to them. I pray that you give us a heart for them, not just a, not just a loathing, Lord, a, maybe a detest for the sin, but Lord, a heart and love for the people that are committing the sin because they need a savior as much as anyone else needs a savior. In your son's name we pray. Amen.